before we dig into God's word, let's pray. God, to echo Grace's beautiful prayer during um, our worship time, our music time, God, I pray that you would wake us up to your presence, that you are here right now. And I pray that we would revel in that, that we would revel that you are in our midst. And so God, I pray tonight for every single one of us that you would speak a personal word to our hearts. And I pray that it would land and take root and grow in us. We bless your holy name for your fame and for your renown. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. amen. So about a month ago, our dog Cooper went missing. My husband, Peter, um, takes Cooper for a walk every morning around the pond around our house. Cooper loves it because on, this, on these walks, he gets to meet other dogs and have a play um, as we have a huge dog walking community in our neighborhood. And normally on these walks, Cooper stays really close besides Peter or just behind. But on this particular day, Peter walked up the walkway and up our drive, assuming that Cooper was just behind him, like he always is. But this time, Cooper was gone. And Peter came in the house and he said to me, have you seen Cooper? And I'm like, no, I thought he was with you. And Peter just let out a big sigh and he said, he's wandered off. Now those three words, he's wandered off, sent me into a full blown panic. And what made it worse was the look on Peter's face. He is usually calm, cool, and collected, especially under pressure. But I could see that he was panicked too. Now you have to understand that Peter and I and my girls, we are totally obsessed with our dog. Let me show you this. Ready and this here? Yeah. I always do this wrong, so let me just go. Ready? There. Next one. There he is. That's our dog Cooper. Isn't he cute? We are obsessed with this dog. Where am I? We are obsessed with this dog. <laughs> you always go back to the last line. We are obsessed, and Cooper, he's our first dog, and we absolutely adore him. Even my Facebook profile picture is of his sweet face. There's the next one. If you could put the next slide, that would be great. My daughter always hassles me and says that it's weird to have a dog for your Facebook profile pic. And I know, I know it's weird, and it makes me the weird dog lady, but every time I try and go to change it, I just look at that sweet face and I just can't do it. Are you getting the picture that we are totally abnormally obsessed with our dog? We are. We didn't even know we were dog people until we got one. And just a side note, and this is kind of really embarrassing to share with you, and it's not in my notes, but in my panic state, and I'm high strung anyway, I was this close to calling the police. <laughs> I was, I was this close to calling, because I had conjured up all these horrible stories in my head about what could have possibly happened to Cooper. And one being <laughs> that Cooper had been kidnapped and sold into a dog fighting ring. <laughs> 
I did. I actually thought that. And, and I know, I know I've been watching too many crime shows. And when I said this to Peter, he said, really? We live in Bethlehem. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, man, you never know what happens. You don't know what happens in these, this neighborhood. I said, you just never know. Anyway, we looked all around the house under every nook and cranny. Peter looped around the pond so many times calling out his name. My daughter Mallory, who was home at the time, drove all around Bethlehem, the whole neighborhood, and many in the dog walking community also went looking and calling out Cooper's name. Two hours later, two hours, people, Marshall, one of the guys on our worship team who lives just a um, couple doors down, saw Cooper coming out of a driveway of a random neighbor's house up the road. He called Cooper and kind of shepherded him home up our, to our place. Now those random neighbors were like, oh yeah, we wondered whose dog he was. Um, he was at our place with, playing with our dog, Coco. And I'm like, Coco? Who the heck is Coco? Like Cooper was fixed when he was a puppy, so he ain't got no business going to Coco's house. <laughs> What's so weird about that, that whole thing, is that Cooper started to do this weird, random wandering thing. Peter takes him for a little walk um, at night just before bed, and Cooper started taking off and running up the street to neighbors' houses where other dogs live, like um, Baxter the Maltese or Murphy the Schnauzer. And we're like, what the heck, man? It's almost like Cooper wasn't satisfied with us as his masters, like he was searching for something else. Now, I tell you all that? Because that is what has happened to the church in Colossae. Did anybody wonder how I was going to loop that around? To, yeah, yeah. Now, this young church that Paul is writing to the Colossians has stra have strayed away from home. They had become distracted and had wandered off looking for something else. It's Jesus and Jesus plus something else. And like Rob said, when he kicked off the series that the Colossians had started hedging their bets on every philosophy going. You know, for instance, like a Buddha in one corner, a money tree in another corner, a self-help book on the coffee table, some crystals on a shelf, and a cross hanging on the wall. You see, Colossae was a major trade center and all these different rows would run through it. And because of that, it attracted all kinds of people from all walks of life with different backgrounds, beliefs, and philosophies. And they all came to live in Colossae. So this young church was being influenced and told, yes, Jesus is all good, but it's Jesus and. Jesus and following a rigid list of rules. Jesus and strict observance of special days. It's Jesus and abstaining from certain foods. It's Jesus and keeping legalistic religious rituals. It's Jesus and striving for some transcendent spiritual um, experience in order to achieve fullness of life and salvation. And so Paul writes this letter to the Colossians from his prison cell in Rome, calling the Colossians home, calling them back home, back to what they first believed, back to their first love. Come back to Jesus, just Jesus. He is your master. Scratch that. He is your one and only true master. He's calling them home. And he's calling them back to basics. Back to the basics of their faith. And I don't know about you, but I so need to hear that word right now. 
You see, in chapter one, Paul reminds them about what they have in Christ, about the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. And Paul uses some of the most profound, beautiful, and poetic language found in all of the New Testament. And Rob preached that the last couple of weeks. Go and watch it. It's amazing. The point is that there is no adding anything to the person of Jesus. You see, who he is and what he's done is enough. It's enough, period. It's Jesus plus nothing else equals everything. Now in chapter two, Paul is going to give a command, a directive and a warning. And our main focus tonight is from verses six onwards, but I'm going to read the first five verses just to give us some context of Paul's heart towards this young church. Let's see if I can do this right. Here we go. He says, I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea, which is a nearby city, and for many other believers who have never met me personally. I just have to stop there for a minute. Remember that Paul is in chains. He's in a prison cell. And though he probably has a lot of time on his hands, look how he spends it. He's agonizing in prayer for Jesus' followers whom he has never met. I think that's stunning because I find it hard to pray consistently for a family member who's sick. I don't know about you, but he's like agonizing in prayer for people he's never even met. That's beautiful. He says, I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious ways, not some random mysterious ways, God's mysterious ways, which is Christ himself. It's in him not anywhere else, lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And he says, I'm telling you this so that no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you. And I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. I love the encouragement. But here is the directive. He says in the next verse, Can I just have, that's the wrong one. Did I do it too many? Can you put the, um, therefore? He says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. I love how it starts because anytime you see a therefore, you always have to ask, what is it there for? And because he's like intent, therefore, just as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So many of the commentaries that I read said, this verse is the key to how to live the Christian life. He says, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, which begs the question, how did they receive Christ? How did you receive Christ? In other words, what Paul is saying is finish how you started. Continue in how you began. And how did they receive him? How did we receive him? Total trust, total dependence, total need of a savior. 
See, they didn't come to God with, I'm going to try and be good and I know you died on the cross and paid for my sins, so now I'm going to try to work my way into eternal life. No, it wasn't like that at all. It was God, I'm totally dependent on you if I am going to have eternal life. God, I'm totally dependent on you if I'm going to have a relationship with you. See, Paul, in essence, is saying that the same way that we live and get access to eternal life is the same way that we live the Christian life, totally dependent. This is huge, church. It's huge. You see, the Christian life is not just hard. It's impossible in our own strength. The Christian life is not, let's just all try a little harder. It's impossible on our own. Ephesians 2 says, it's for by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works or anything you've done so that no one may boast. It's a gift. And at its core, Christianity is not about what you or I do. It's about celebrating what God has done and what he is doing. And that's why we gather. Paul is saying that you don't ever get away or beyond this reality or foundational truth. Continue how you started, totally dependent. It's a moment by moment dependence that says, God, I can't do this. I can't do this, but you can. I can't walk through this anxiety, but you can through me. I can't walk through this loss or this worry or this disappointment or this diagnosis, but you can. You can through me. I put my trust in you, God. It's a moment by moment, step by step, dependent relationship with him. And Paul says, continue to live and walk how you started. Just as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, continue to walk in him. And do you know that those four words, Christ Jesus, the Lord, is only found here. There's other variances throughout the New Testament. You know, Christ Jesus, our Lord, or Christ Jesus, my Lord. But Christ Jesus, the Lord, is only here. So continue to walk in him. And I love how Paul takes them back to the start, back to the basics. You know, that is what we've had to do with our dog, Cooper, to stop his wandering ways. We've had to go back to how we first started when he was a puppy. Many of you have heard me tell this story before, but when Cooper was a puppy, we took him to puppy class or dog obedience school. And it was there that they teach you how to train your dog um, to obey certain commands. Now, the instructor said that the most important command that a dog needs to learn is to stay. Stay. And forget trying to teach your dog tricks like roll over or shake. No, if you teach them anything, teach them how to stay because it's the foundation for everything else they will learn. Besides learning to pee outside, I would definitely teach them how to do that first. You see, a dog's ability to stay when commanded can save their life. And there are three different stages of the stay command. You start with teaching a dog to stay for duration. You start slowly at first with little increments of time, three seconds, stay, and then five, stay, and then 10 seconds, and so on and so on. And I'm telling you this because as the instructor was talking about it, 
I got this big lump in my throat and tears in my eyes in puppy class. It was so clear, almost audible, but I felt the Lord whisper to my spirit, how's your stay? We need to talk about that. It went straight, man, it cut me straight to the heart. You see, staying, remaining, dwelling, abiding in Christ, abiding in his presence is everything. And I feel like I keep talking about it. It's only because in my own life, God keeps bringing me back here. You see, for me, being in ministry and working at church, the tendency is to think that studying God's word for research purposes or reading commentaries and listening to podcasts is the same thing as abiding in him. It's not. It's a form of it, but it's not. I mean, are these things awesome? Yes, absolutely. God meets me in the reading and the research every time. He is so incredibly gracious. But abiding with him, and like Grace said, and I loved it, is enjoying him, enjoying his presence. It's like that Westminster Catechism quote that says, the chief end of man, the reason why you're here is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I love that. In John 15, um, Jesus says, abide in my love. That's not just a suggestion. It's a directive. It's a command. Stay, remain, abide, dwell in my love. See, abiding with him is also reading his word to hear him speak a personal word to you. Absolutely. Abiding with God is talking to him about what is going on inside of us. Yes, he already knows anyway, but it's in the talking to him that he shows us what he already knows that we don't know about why we do what we do or why we think a certain way or why we made that decision. You see, it's in the duration. This learning to stay, this learning to remain and abide um, in the stillness of his presence where transformation happens. And it's a slow process. I wonder if God looks at me sometimes and says, I think this is gonna take a while. It's kind of like that mainland cheese ad that they used to show, that good things take time. It's in the staying in duration, this long obedience in the same direction, this moment by moment, step by step, walking closely with our God, where our faith becomes rooted in him. It's where our roots grow. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught. See, this theme of being rooted is one that Paul loves to use. And just like a tree, strong roots stabilize growth. We need strong and deep roots if we're ever going to survive the winds and hurricanes of life, which takes us to the next stage of the stay command. And it's learning to stay Next one, please. Great. It's learning to stay with distance. This is where you start taking a few steps back a little at a time when you've told your dog to stay. You keep going further and further back. Stay, stay. You keep to see how far back you can go. And then he doesn't, he just stays no matter the distance. 
See, even when you are abiding in Christ, life still happens. Suffering and hardship still happen. Tragedy and loss still happens. Disappointment and sadness still happen. And it can feel like God is nowhere to be found. And it can seem like he is so distant. He's not. I mean, his word promises that he will never leave us nor forsake us, but it can feel like he is a far way off. And when the storms of life start to blow, and they will, if you or I have shallow roots in our walks with him, we will lean and bend and bow and sometimes break or even be uprooted altogether. I love how one author put it. He said, deep roots strengthen and support us against the prevailing winds of persuasion. When the mind-bending gales attack without warning, it's our network of solid roots that hold us firm and keep us straight. You see, beautiful branches and delicate leaves, no matter how attractive, fail to strengthen us as the velocity increases. It takes roots, thick and deep, powerful roots to keep us standing strong. And church, that takes time. It takes time. But here's the thing about roots. They aren't pretty. In fact, some of them look scary as. I tried to find a really neat picture with pretty roots, but there just ain't any. You see, nobody spends time digging around a tree trunk admiring its roots. And artists don't waste their time painting dirty brown root structures. Rather, they fill the canvas with bright, pretty green foliage basking in the sunlight. But without the strong roots below the ground, everything above would topple. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up and established in the faith, just as you were taught. This being built up and established reminds me of a conversation I had with someone from Christchurch just a couple of days ago. I was commenting that when I was in Christchurch a couple years ago, how amazed I was at all the rubble and broken down buildings still around from the earthquake that hit nearly 10 years ago. To me, it looked like that earthquake had just happened. And I love how this coworker responded. She said that the contractors and the builders have taken years to carefully work, fix, replace, repair all the underground structures to get, and to get the foundations right, to make them strong and earthquake-proof. And now, in Christchurch, you are starting to see the fruits of all that underground construction with the upward growth and buildings finally being erected. She said, beauty is coming back to Christchurch. And all I could say was, come on now, that'll preach right there. I loved it. I loved what she had to say. It was like a little mini sermon. It was so cool. Listen, even when you feel like God is distant or silent and you feel like nothing is happening or growth seems really slow in your life, know that God is doing a good work underground. Continue walking and learning and letting God do the root work in the foundations of your faith. Even when he brings and you see the pruning shears come out and he starts cutting and hacking away, stay, abide, 
Remain and let him cut. He knows what he's doing. And it's in the pruning that abundant growth happens. And here's the thing. It's going to take some focus on our part to abide with God in the process. Which leads us to the last step of the stay command. And it's this. Next slide, please. Learning to stay with distraction. This is where you teach your dog to stay put no matter what distractions are going on around, around them. Distractions like noise, people walking by, other dogs, especially other dogs. This by far, I have found the hardest one to teach. You see, here's the warning. Paul in verse eight says this. Next slide, please. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So also, so you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is head over every ruler and authority. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So, so you are complete through your union with him, who is head over every ruler and authority. He says, don't let anybody take you captive. And that word captive is literally translated kidnapped. It's a strong word. It's a violent word. And it's meant to wake up the Colossians. Don't let anybody kidnap you with empty philosophies and high sounding nonsense. You know, most scholars agree when I was reading that they don't know exactly what was being taught to this young church in Colossae. But it's apparent that whatever, they were, whatever it was, they were being led astray by some heresy possibly the worship of idols or angels or whatever. And like I said earlier, this heresy had added something to Jesus, this Jesus and, and it had become a huge distraction for the Colossians. Listen, loved ones, we live in a world where distraction, in my opinion, has ramped up like never before. Distraction overload coming to us from every direction and every sort of medium possible. And can I ask you gently, and I'm talking to myself just as much, and no judgment whatsoever from me, but what are you distracted by? What has your focus and attention? What has taken you captive? Is it money or the lack of it? A relationship or the desire for one? Your job, your possessions, your friend group, your desire to be liked? And can I get more personal and hit us where it hurts? <laughs> Is it your devices? More specifically, ta-da, your phone? I mean, I don't say it to shame anybody because I'm addicted to this thing. I mean, hasn't it become our precious? <laughs> we have become like Gollum, staring, staring at its reflection. Our devices have become our vices. And I heard it put this way, and it scared me so much. 
Imagine hearing Jesus say, like he says in Matthew 25, when he speaks words over us, he says, I was this and I was this. And when I was this and you are not this. And we're going to say back to him, but Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty, sick and in prison, and we did not help you? My fear is that he will say, you never did see me because you never did look up. <laughs> seeing it on our phones is not the same things as seeing it here. We as a society are becoming more and more disconnected. Experts say that our brains are literally changing. The book of Isaiah says that we become what we worship. Have we been taken captive by these devices? Listen, I'm not saying that we give them up either. It's my phone and my laptop. I use it every day. It's part of my work and it's incredibly useful and so many good things about it. But I do think we need to take stock on how distracted we are by them or by anything that is taking center stage in our life. You see, Paul is calling us to maturity. He's calling us to grow up in our walks with Jesus. And that is what I want more than anything. And here's the thing, church. I want to grow up in Jesus. I don't want to just grow old in Jesus. I want to grow up in Jesus, not just grow old in Jesus. But growing up is started by growing deep. It's learning to stay for the duration and letting your roots grow deep and strengthening your stance. It's learning to stay with distance when the storms of life blow and God seems distant to you. It is learning to stay focused on our one true master in a world full of distractions. And Paul ends these verses with this. And if I could have the band come up. He says, for Christ in all the fullness of God in a human body. Let me read that again. Paul ends with verses with this. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ who is head over every ruler and authority. See, Jesus has full access to God. Therefore, you have all access to Christ. Therefore, you have all access to God. In other words, Jesus is all of God, and you have all of Jesus. So in Jesus, you have all of God. In Christ, Paul says, you have been brought to fullness. And that means that only Christ can fill you. Nothing else, just Jesus. Your identity, my identity, is found in him, not anywhere else. You are complete in your union with Christ. You are his son, you are his daughter. It's not about who you are. It's about whose you are. You belong to him. And just like Cooper, who was wandering around looking for another master, he needed to look no further than his own collar. It says his name, and not only says his name, it says his owner's names. That's whose he is. He belongs to us. And so you, you belong to him. That's whose you are. And I so relate to these words found in the old hymn, Come Thou Font, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Oh God, call us home through your gospel. Call us back there. 
and call us back here. Call us back here. And so now we come to the communion table, his table. And on this table, and at this table, we are all invited. It is here that we remember all that Christ has done for us. It is at his table where we see broken bread. It is a reminder of Christ's body given and broken on the cross for our sins. The wine poured out to drink is a reminder of Christ's blood poured out on the cross for our sins. And so when we eat the bread and drink the juice, we're reminded of the sacrificial love of Jesus. So I'm gonna invite you now to come to the table and take the elements. And you can either take communion on your own or you can take it with whoever you came with. But as you do, let your hearts abound in thanksgiving because that is the last part. Therefore, just as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding, abounding in thanksgiving. Thankful that yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thankful that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We never go beyond that. We never... <laughs> It is the foundation of who we are, this good news of the gospel. So come, partake with grateful hearts to this table. And then later on, the band will lead us in a song, and I'll close us at the end. Amen. Amen. Feels like a holy moment of basking in who he is. You have to know how loved you are. Father in heaven is calling you home to abide in him, to rest in him, <laughs> to let him heal those broken hearts inside of you. Let it happen. Stay. Stay. Stay for the duration. Stay with distance. Stay, even with all the distraction, still. Be still and know that I am God. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. God, take this heart and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. God, meet us in the chaos of this world, the storms of life, God. And would you minister to us there? You're so faithful. Thank you, God. And there's nowhere we can hide from your presence because you are there. Thank you, God, for meeting us. And my prayer is, God, that we would, during the week, tonight, tomorrow, that we would somehow in your strength put down what distracts us and just be with you. 
We love and we honor you. God, have your way, have your way, have your way in my life and in the life of your people. In Jesus' precious name, amen.